Bibles now and would like to turn with me. We're going to be looking, continuing, I should say, in the Gospel of John. We pick up in John 13 today. And we're going to look at John 13, verse 1. Just one verse this week. We, as I kind of joked last week, we are beginning our Passion Few Months uh, as we've been going through the Gospel of John, and now we hit John chapter 13, and John 13 begins the section of John. Uh, the first half is called 1 through 11, is called by many commentators, as we saw the, the, the Book of Miracles, and 13 through the end, with 12 being a transition chapter, uh, is called the Book of the Passion. And it really is, in John, we see things that we see nowhere else in any of the Gospels teaching of Jesus that he gives his disciples. Uh, and so we're going to spend the next several months, I joked, in Easter. We're just going to live in Easter for a while, if that's okay with you. Now, for kids, you need to tell your parents that means you get Easter baskets every Sunday for the next, till we're done with John. No, no, okay. Maybe not. I'll have to go, go tomorrow and stock up on Easter candy, <laughs> 50% off. But if you would now, uh, stand with me as you're able, as we give attention to the infallible Inerrant word of God, as we look at John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast, now before the feast of, of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Please be seated. I think as we get older, we hit these moments in our lives where we begin to reflect. It's something I can certainly identify with over the last 10, 15 years. I'm sure others who have, are even older than me can identify with that. Uh, e even as I look at my kids and I begin to reflect as that they have friend groups coming in and now friend groups going out. And we look back on our lives and I was talking with my oldest daughter about how you go through life and you have these people who come into your life and they're there for a season and they go. And some of these, these people, they stay with you for a while. Others, uh, you, you just never talk to. You just They were there for a time and then you move on. But there are always a handful, even still today, that I reach out to when I'm in need. I have a, a text chain with about six other ministers who, whenever I have a question or I'm feeling down or if I just want to grumble and complain and nobody else wants to listen to me, I text them and They'll say, oh, yeah, whatever, shut up or whatever, you know. <laughs> when I need advice, I have people I talk to. or, But just, it points to something. It points to how we were created. We are created for a longing for relationships. We have a desire to be loved. We want to know that there are people out there who care about us enough to listen to us. We have this desire to think we want to be worthy of being loved. But the reality is that no matter how close I am with any of my friends, no matter how close they think they are with me, people inevitably are going to let you down. It's, it's just a, a part of us being fallen. We're going to let them down. They're going to let us down. We are creatures that are imperfect. However, in our text today, we see one who is not that way. Christ comes to earth out of a love for his children. It's a thing that we see reflected at Christmas when we come and we remember the incarnation, Jesus, who took on flesh, who became man. It's what we remember today as we come to the cross and we see his love for us 
on display in a very tangible way as the God of creation comes and suffers the wrath of God for his people so that we might have life everlasting. It was for this that Jesus came. It is the love that we see on display here. It's this wonderful, beautiful truth. You might think, why are we just looking at one verse? But there's so much in this second part of this verse. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's a powerful, beautiful truth. As we begin the, the book of Passions, as we, we see this section of John's gospel, as we see these final teachings of Jesus. We're coming in now to Passover. Pretty much everything that's going to happen from this point on uh, until we get to the actual arrest is going to be Passover night. And we see the, this just great teaching. James Montgomery Boyce says of this teaching, nowhere in the entire Bible does the child of God feel that he is walking on more holy ground. For here, more than in many other portions of Scripture, he hears the voice of Jesus leading him into a greater understanding of his new place before the Father and consequently also his new position in the world. These chapters contain teaching about heaven, the new commandment, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the mutual union of Christ with the disciples and the disciples with Christ and prayer. So as we begin looking at this section that's so full and so weighty, we're going to see three things about the love of Jesus this morning. We're going to see a love for his own. We're going to see a love from the beginning. And we're going to see a love to the end. A love for his own, a love from the beginning, and a love to the end. These chapters that we're going into are speak particularly high of Jesus' love for his own. Christ's love of the whole world, we see that in John. Christ so loved the world, or God so loved the world, that he sent his only begotten son. But as much as we see this general love that is offered for all, we also see very specifically in the Gospel of John a particular love. These two things don't, aren't in conflict with one another. They exist alongside one another, that Christ loves in general, but he also loves specifically. Having loved his own, he says this, he loved his own, those who were his. Just as there is a difference between a man's love for his wife and a wife's love for her husband, there's a difference in Jesus' love for the world and his love for his own. It is Christ's all-saving love for those who are his own that is the concern of these chapters. He is specifically here talking about the love that he has for his own. So then it begs the question, who are his own? How do we know that we belong to him? How does a believer come to be Christ's own? Why is the church called the church? Well, the first thing we see here is that Christ chose them. We see this also in John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus has chose us, chosen us, excuse me. Charles Spurgeon says this, a man may surely choose his own wife and Christ chose his own spouse. He chose his own church. And while the scriptures stand, the doctrine can never be eradicated 
from it. So first we see uh, we become Christ's own because Christ chooses us. Second, we know that we are Christ's own because we are given to him by the Father. Again, looking at the Gospel of John, John 15, or excuse me, John 6, verses 37 and 39. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Similarly, in John 17, the great high priestly prayer of Jesus, John says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom have, you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus makes this distinction between the world and his own. So first we see Christ chose them. Second, we see they're given by the Father. But third, we become Christ's own because we are born again as children of God through the Holy Spirit. It's this wonderful Trinitarian aspect of, of the Bible that we are Christ because he has chosen us. We are Christ because the Father has given it to us, but we are also Christ because he has been born of the Spirit in us. Knowing that we are Christ's own is even more glorious when we realize how great the love of Christ is for his own, that he would die on the cross for our sins and then send his spirit so that that Christ might dwell in us. J.C. Ryle says this, knowing perfectly well that they were about to forsake him, speaking of the disciples, shamefully in a few hours, in full view of their approaching display of weakness and infirmity, our blessed master did not cease to have loving thoughts of his disciples. This is where Jesus starts the Passion Week in the Gospel of John with a love for his disciples, knowing all that would come. And we know he knows what's coming, right? He told Peter himself, Peter, before the crock crows three times, you're going, or before the crock crows, you're going to de deny me three times. He knew that Judas would betray him, that his disciples would be scattered, and yet even so, he loved them. It was for his own that Jesus comes to the cross. He didn't come for a faceless multitude, but for specific people, a people given to him by the Father, a people who know his voice and respond when they hear it. This is what he said when he said, I'm the good shepherd earlier in John, and my sheep, they hear and know my voice. So that if you have heard today, if you have put on faith and trust in Christ, then you can know that you are Christ's own, that he has called you his own, that you are born of the Spirit, given by the Father. And to have the love of Christ is no small thing because he loves you perfectly. He loves you in spite of your sins. He died on that cross to make that restoration complete. Even as the scripture tells us, no greater love is there than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So then we see more fully, fully, if we know that Christ died for his own, then what does that mean for us? And we see this 
we're going to see this in two parts, that he loves from the beginning and he loves to the end. We begin by looking at that he has loved them from the beginning. We see this in the first part here, having loved his own. This is a past tense. He loved us from the beginning. And we see this in the Gospel of John, echoed all the way back in chapter 1. In, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. Christ was the word by which all things, including you and I, came into being. He created us, not to a meaningless existence, but to an existence that is the highest existence possible for any created object. He created us for communion with the one who created us. God loved us. In his incarnation, again, further down in John 1, and the word, the word which was in the beginning, which was with God, which was the word by which all things were created, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. It was for love that Christ le left the glories of heaven for the miseries of earth. It was for love that Christ called his disciples. And it was not because he looked to his disciples and it was not because he looked to us and said, man, look what they can do for me. I'm going to scoop these up. No, it wasn't for that. It wasn't for what we can do for him but what he could do for us. He loved his own, we see, up to this point by teaching them and leading them during his years on earth. John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. He had given them his word. He had taught them. He loved them through his teaching. And he goes on and says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Likewise, we Christians are taught by the word of truth in the scriptures and by the ministry of Christ through his Holy Spirit. So that when we gather here today on this Easter Sunday, there is good news for everyone who hears my voice. Christ has loved you from the beginning. You are not somehow plan B. He came into the world in order that he might show that love forth to you. And that is so freeing when we understand that we don't deserve the love of Christ. What do I mean by that? What I really mean is we don't earn the love of Christ. The problem with earning love is that you have to keep on earning that love. It's one of the deficiencies I feel even as, as being a father. Because there's times, if you have children, you know this, where kids get fussy. There's times where they go from fussy to straight arguing. Where they become belligerent and, and you just don't want them around. Right? 
And I find that, I know it's a deficiency, right? There's times where it's hard to find love for our children. And we, we always love them, but there's times where I'm like, or as my wife says, I love you, but I don't like you right now. But this is not the case with Christ. As we come to Christ, he loves us perfectly. He loves us in spite of the many things we do wrong. In spite of our sinfulness, he goes to the cross. Because he has loved us from the beginning. So we are to come to him. We're to receive this love and gift of grace again and again and again. Because he has loved us from the beginning. And we also see that he loves us to the end. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. But what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus loved them to the end? That's a very kind of open-ended statement there. What, what end did he love them to? And I, I think that we see many different ends here that, that he loved them to. He didn't just love them up to this point, but he kept on loving them. He, he loved them to the end of his own life. He loved them to the cross where he died for their sins so that they could turn and trust in him. And so we are called to love him because he loved us to the end. That is the cross where he died for us. But he did not only love his disciples or us to the end of his life. He also loved them to the end of their lives and to the end of our lives. As Jesus is saying this even now for his disciples, they don't know what's coming, but he knows what's coming. That his disciples would be persecuted and afflicted and tempted as they serve Jesus in this world. But even so, he loved them through that. He would continue to disciple them and teach them and guide them and strengthen them all through the ministry of his Holy Spirit. This is what I love, and I can't wait till we get there. We're still several, probably a month away from it. But John 17, John 17 is this, it's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's this prayer where Jesus is taking a moment, and he's talking to God on behalf of his disciples. I'm going to read a section of this, because it's so, I think, poignant. When we talk about how Jesus loves us, this is John 17, starting in 11 and going through 17. And I am no longer in the world, but they, that's, that's Jesus talking about his disciples, are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you gave me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the wor world hate has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. This is what Jesus is praying, I think not only for his disciples, but also for us, that we would be sanctified in the word of truth, that the Father in heaven would keep us because the world will indeed hate us. 
One commentator says it this way, in the world we will suffer losses and crosses, but Jesus knows where we are. He loves us to the very end of our lives, providing all that we need to continue unto salvation. So Jesus loved his disciples. He loved us to his own death on the cross. He loves us and his disciples to their own deaths, but he also loves us to the end in a third way. He loves us to the end of history. This is something that Paul echoes in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor the things present, nor the things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing, daughter and son of God in this world, that can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. And you might look at the world around you, and you might see it all topsy-turvy, and you might see it upside down, But he has loved you to the end. His nailed, scarred hands are held out to you even now, marked with the eternal emblems of sin-conquering love. No one in this world is more devoted, more devoted towards your good than Jesus Christ, who has loved you to the very end. So that if you are here this morning and you call Christ your own, then you can come again and again and again and feel his love and mercy for you. But I would be remiss this morning because we've talking, talked much this morning about the love that he has for his own. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying to yourself, I don't know if I'm Christ's own. I don't know that you're talking to me. There is a message here for you as well. Come and know the love that gladly accepts death in your place. Without the love of Christ, you will be lost. You will be without hope. But take heart. The day of God's grace is still now. Let today be the day of your salvation that you would come through faith in Jesus Christ. Because Christ has loved from the beginning. He has loved to his end and he will love till he comes again. So look to the cross. The cross where we see the greatest expression of God's love, where he takes, Jesus Christ takes the full wrath that we justly deserved. I was talking to Mike this morning, he remember years and years ago, talking about seeing the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And there's, there's much to be said about that. I think where the Passion of the Christ fails is in that it in no, it's hard, and it's hard, right? It's hard to represent this, but it doesn't portray the real suffering. The physical suffering of Jesus was great, 
on the cross, but far greater was the spiritual suffering as God pours out the full wrath that we justly deserve on his son, where he made atonement for sins, where he made us white as snow so that he can say, put on my righteousness. So look to the cross, but also look to his second coming. On that day when the glory of the Lord is shown in the fullness all around us, when he will come and ultimately vindicate his children. Come and know the love of Christ, the greatest love that has ever been shown. Find rest and security in that love this morning. Maybe you've heard this message all your life, or maybe you're hearing it for the first time today. And there's all kinds of reasons that we ignore Jesus. Perhaps we don't have time for him. Perhaps we don't like the implication that following Jesus means for our lives. We don't like giving up different things. But I urge you this morning to not harden your heart to Christ. The cross is here before you. The shed blood of Jesus is offered to you. If you would but come in faith and put your rest and trust in him. There is only one hope in life or in death. And it it is the hope that Jesus freely offers. Come and know that hope. Come and know the love of Jesus. Know that he has come for his own. That he has loved them from the beginning. And he has loved them to the end, when he comes again in his glory, when he will vindicate the church, his people. It is what we are about to see on display here in this table. As we come to this, the the remembrance of the Passover feast that Jesus had with his disciples. So even now, as we come and we're about to pray and we're going to Sing a hymn and prepare our hearts. But even now, be preparing your hearts as we see Jesus of Christ on display. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we come now and we rejoice in your son, Jesus. We rejoice that he has loved us from the beginning and he will love us to the end. That the love of Christ is enduring and unfailing. Oh, Lord, would we know that love this morning and would we rest in all that Jesus has done for us. We ask and pray in his holy name. Amen.